The following audio is from Summit Church. For more information on Summit Church, visit www.summitonline.tv. Hey there, church. So glad that you chose to engage with us today online. If you're watching this, we've had the 4th of July already. I hope you had an amazing weekend, maybe with friends, family, whatever that looked like. Hope you, hope you stayed safe. Hope you celebrated our nation. And, uh, but we're, we're keeping on, keeping on through the book of Philippians. And last week we saw how Paul told us we need to love and live as if our days are numbered. And that's so important. So whether I live or whether I die, whatever, whatever happens, we are living for Jesus and for his glory. And so then he just continues that thought now in Philippians chapter one, verses 27 through 30. What he's gonna say is this in verse 27, whatever happens, so whether you live or whether you die, Conduct yourself in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Now the word conduct there in the Greek literally means behave as citizens. Behave as citizens. So so let's read it again with that in there. Whatever happens, behave as citizens in a manner worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, why would he pick that phrase? Why that word, behave as citizens? Well, remember, he's writing to the church in Philippi. The church in Philippi is populated with a lot of transplants from the city of Rome. So a lot of soldiers from Rome retired to Philippi, 800 miles away from Rome, and they've been living there. They've taken up residence, but this is a Roman colony. And so they would have been told, hey, make sure you maintain your citizenship. Make sure you act as a Roman should act. And so the people in the church hearing this, they would immediately resonate with that idea, but Paul's not talking about their Roman citizenship. Paul's talking about a Christian's heavenly citizenship, that they are to live in a manner worthy of the gospel as citizens of heaven. And Paul tells us later in his letter in Philippians chapter three, verse 20 about that citizenship. He says, our citizenship is in heaven. And we eagerly await a savior from there who is the Lord Jesus Christ. We are just hanging out here. Our citizenship, our desire, our longing is for heaven and for that savior who currently resides in heaven, sitting sitting at the right hand of God the Father to come back and take us home. So we are foreigners in this land just hanging out. That's in fact what Peter says, 1 Peter 2, verses 11 and 12. He says, dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires, which wage war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans. You're here, but your citizenship's in heaven. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. What a powerful passage. Hey, I need you to live in such a way. I need you to behave as citizens in such a way that even if someone comes and brings a charge against you, They'll see the goodness in your life. They'll see Jesus in you and you may actually win them to the Lord through the way you live your life. A life that is lived with a conduct worthy of the gospel. That's what Paul is requiring of the church in Philippi. And that's what Jesus requires of all of us. Live a life worthy of the price that was paid for your life. 
It cost Jesus everything for you to inherit citizenship in heaven. So now as we live this life, live a life worthy, worthy of the gospel, of the price that was paid for you by him. And Paul will spend the rest of these verses just kind of elaborating on what that life would look like, a life worthy of the gospel. We'll continue with Philippians chapter one, verse 27. Then whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in the one spirit, striving together as one for the faith of the gospel. I want you to live this life worthy of the gospel, whether I'm watching or not. Whether I get to come or not, I want you to live it because it's for God, not to impress me. Now, I know there are many of us who resonate with this and why this is an important teaching and truth. We can turn it on, right? We can turn it on when we need to. Have, have you ever had a, a friend or a, a teacher or a pastor, a coach, just someone, a family member that when they were around, you knew you had to be on your best behavior. You knew you had to conduct yourself differently than you normally do because that person was in the room. That person was around. And what Paul is saying is, hey, um, whether I come to you or not, whether I get to visit you or not, I need you to live this way. And, and I'll, I'll hear about it. I want you to live this way because God called you to live this way. Could you imagine, could you imagine what would happen when Paul walked into a town, especially a town like Philippi, where he had planted the church there. He was a hero for the Christian church in Philippi. So he shows up, everyone turns it up a notch, right? Oh, Paul, we loved your letter. Thank you so much for that. It's so encouraging. We've been trying to apply it to our lives. You know, as I was praying for two hours this morning, I was just praying and thanking God for you and, and I've seen the miraculous move of how he's working in our lives and all, I mean, just whatever they could do to impress Paul. And he's saying, don't, don't do that for me. Don't do that for me. Do that for the Lord. I just wonder how often our conduct is environmental more than it is truly the conduct that would make it worthy of the gospel. We, we are environmentally righteous <laughs> when we need to be, but that's not the true conduct of our heart. I went to Bible college in Joplin, Missouri, and they call it a holy bubble for a reason. You walk onto that campus and everybody kind of looks the same, talks the same, thinks the same. Literally at the beginning of each year, you have to sign a morality contract saying that you will abstain from sexual morality. You'll abstain from drugs and alcohol. You'll, you'll do all of these things that, that will allow your conduct to be pleasing to God. But I'll tell you, you know, signing a piece of paper won't do that for you. Paul talks about that in the book of Romans. How the law rules, all that can do is show you where you're a rule breaker. So most of the people look the same, walk the same, talk the same, but it was environmental. And behind closed doors, when no one was looking, all those rules, all those things they said they would uphold, they, they were being broken. It was kind of a sham. We were, we were kind of like sheep. And when I graduated Bible college, I've said this before, the foundation that was implanted in me, I could not do what I do today without it. But it took me years to unlearn a lot of the things that I learned in Bible college. 
And about a year and a half after graduating, I moved back to Norman to start a student ministry. And the church I was at had a bunch of college students attending it. And I wasn't too far removed from college. And one of my main jobs was to recruit leaders for the student ministry. So a lot of college students were volunteering to in, volunteer in the student ministry. And I started to see something that I didn't get to see in college. I started to see true conduct worthy of the gospel. I started to see true faith. Because these students are attending the University of Oklahoma These students are choosing to live the way they live for God, not for anyone else. Because in fact, oftentimes the way they were choosing to live their life got them ridiculed by friends. This was not the college experience that everyone was promised. This was not the freedom. Hey, we're out for mom and dad. Let's do this. Let's party it up. They weren't doing that. Not because they signed a paper saying they wouldn't. They were doing that because they wanted to live their life in a way worthy of the gospel. And I saw true faith, faith that was chosen by these 18, 19, 20-year-olds. And it encouraged the mess out of me. And it's one of the ways I had to relearn, like, hey, my conduct is not about following a set of rules and looking good on paper. My conduct is about a life worthy of the price that was paid for it. And that taught me something. And I pray that as you wrestle through this today, is is my life lived in a way that's worthy of the gospel, that you don't just start checking boxes and following rules, but you really examine and look at your heart. Because there's a few things that Paul highlights in verse 27 that helps us along this way, helps us along this path of discovering what this life might look like. He says in verse 27 that a citizen will stand firm in the spirit, will stand firm in the spirit. Now, there are so many temptations in our world, right? So many temptations, so many things that lure us in and, and cause us to want to turn from God. So many temptations, but the only way we can overcome those is by standing firm in the spirit. Not by a piece of paper, not by rules, but standing firm in the spirit and allowing God to give us the strength to oppose those temptations standing firm against things like lust, materialism, false teachings, selfishness, and even unbelief. Standing firm against those things, we cannot do that on our own, but with the Holy Spirit, we can, we can stand. And if you notice in verse 27, it says stand firm with the one spirit, with one spirit. There's unity here too. This huge point that Paul makes that we strive to stand firm and we do so together. We do so as fellow citizens united by the Holy Spirit, strengthened through the Holy Spirit and capable of standing firm because a cord of three strands is not easily broken. We are stronger together to overcome the temptations of this world. And in fact, I have found in my life and in the lives of many others that conduct unworthy of the gospel oftentimes happens in isolation. It's when we've separated from our fellow citizens. It's when we're alone on an island that Satan can sneak in so much easier then and defeat us. So much easier because we don't have our fellow citizens there to support us and encourage us. We don't have our fellow citizens there modeling what a life worthy of the gospel would look like. We don't have that, so we fall. If you've been drawn away, if you've been drawn away into a group, into citizenship with this world, the temptations of this world will destroy you. 
I mean, you heard that list, that list of just common things, lust, materialism, false teaching, selfishness, unbelief. If you're experiencing those things and you're going, I'm having trouble overcoming these things. I don't know why. I want you to look at who's around you. Who's around you? Who's supporting you? Are you trusting and relying in the Holy Spirit to do that or just in your own ability to choose what is right? Because your own ability will fail you. But the Holy Spirit never will. And the right group of citizens around you will give you strength that you cannot have on your own. A citizen will strive for faith that comes from the gospel and do so in unity with others. I think so often as Christians, we make this mistake of saying, hey, we placed our faith in Jesus. We even got baptized, declared it publicly. Now I'm good. It's one and it's done. Now I'm good. I've done what I needed to do. Let's just figure out the rest of this life and it'll be fine. That's not the case. That's not how this works. Faith is something that grows and it grows best when we're committing to growing it with others. When we're rubbing shoulders with people who are walking through the same struggles that we are, when we're striving for the same goals and that is to look more like Jesus. The gospel unites us all and demands us to continue to work out our salvation because our salvation was bought at too high of a price for us just to think that one proclamation of faith is good and then I live the rest of my life however I want. It's not what God's calling us to. He's calling us to a life that is worthy of the gospel. A citizen of heaven will not be afraid of persecution. Philippians 1 verse 28. Without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. This is a sign to them that they will be destroyed, but that you will be saved and that by God. A citizen of heaven will not be afraid of anyone who opposes them. Some translations say persecute them. They will not be afraid of that because actually that opposition is a sign back to them that they're out, that they're not for God. Jesus uses a similar message In the Sermon on the Mount, the first few verses in Matthew chapter five are called the Beatitudes. And verses 10 through 12 of Matthew chapter five say this. These are Jesus's words. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, not because of being a fool, but because of righteousness. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Wow. Rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Consider it joy when you are persecuted because you're living the life of the prophets. You're living the life of those who walked this path before you. Consider yourself blessed when others oppose you. Paul is saying the same thing. When you live your life worthy of the gospel, there are going to be people who do not like that and are going to try and stand in the way of you living like that, saying that how you think, how you live is wrong. Don't worry about that. Stand firm against that. And know that by doing so, you're actually flipping the script on them. A citizen of heaven will suffer well. Philippians 1, 29 through 30. For it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him. It's been granted to you. Wow. 
since you are going through the same struggle you saw I had and now hear that I still have. Paul understood this so well. If you remember his conversion story, a man named Ananias is told by Jesus, go find this guy named Saul, tell him how much he must suffer for my name's sake. That's the way that Paul's missionary journey started by Jesus saying, I'm gonna show you how much you must suffer. Why? Because in suffering, we are united with Jesus. Paul is not alone in this. As citizens of heaven, we are not immune from suffering, but we're called to suffer well. Meaning, hoping that our suffering unites us with Jesus, grows us in Jesus, and hopefully makes us look more like Jesus, which would then allow us to live a life worthy of the gospel, worthy of Jesus. I don't know anyone who enjoys suffering. I don't know anyone who enjoys suffering, but as citizens of heaven, knowing that our time here is temporary, knowing that the worst thing that could happen is our life is over and we go and get to be with Jesus. We need to learn how to suffer well. We need to learn how to suffer in a way worthy of the gospel. Why? James tells us why in James chapter one, verses two through four. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Let trials come because they will grow you. They will mature you. They will complete you. They will allow you to live a life worthy of the gospel. Very seldom do we grow in our faith during the times of plenty. But quite often we grow in our faith and our maturity in times of hardship. And that's why James could write such ridiculous words like consider it pure joy. Because if our ultimate goal is to look more like Jesus, if our ultimate goal is to live a life worthy of Jesus, then suffering is one of the best ways for us to get there. It's one of the best ways. So consider it pure joy. Paul, it's been granted to you to suffer. As a citizen, it's one of the prizes. You get to suffer. People are gonna oppose you. But it's okay, you can stand firm with others and with the Holy Spirit. And all of this, somehow, this backwards formula, this recipe, it produces what? Conduct worthy of the gospel. So I ask you just a few questions. Are you currently a citizen of heaven? That citizenship comes through faith in Jesus Christ. That's the only way, that's the only way to get in. You're, you're reborn as a citizen in heaven. That's the only way to get in. Are you a citizen of heaven? If you are, if you are a person of faith, do you live your life in a manner worthy of the gospel, worthy of Jesus? 
Do you stand firm against those who oppose you? Do you face persecution because of how you live your life? Do you suffer well? Those are just a few of the things that Paul lines out here in these couple verses. Just a few of them. But a person who lives their life worthy of the manner of the gospel would also love well, would serve well, would give well, would look like Jesus. Do you look different than this world? Can people tell that you just really don't fit in here? There's something going on in that person. There's something going on in him that makes him just seem a little different. Like he just doesn't quite belong. Like he's a foreigner. Like he doesn't quite know the customs or the cultures of this world. He, he just walks around a little absent-minded of this world. It's, it, it's like he's from somewhere else. Do you look different? Has your faith in Jesus caused you to look different than this world? And finally, if you've answered no to most of these things, do you need to A, put your faith in Jesus? Do you need to look deep into your heart and say, have I trusted him with my life? Have I said to him, I will die to myself so that I might live with you? Have you said that? If you haven't, I pray that today is the day that you do so, that you trust him, that you call on him by name, that he fills you with the Holy Spirit and gives you that life transforming power that comes only from him. But if you have done that and you still answered no to a bunch or all of these questions, do you need to repent? Do you need to turn from your evil ways, from the ways of this world? Do you need to say no to those, turn and say yes to Jesus? If you do so, this amazing thing happens. No matter how you've conducted your life up to this point, Jesus comes in and says, you're asking me to forgive you. You're repenting of your sins, so I will do so. You are good, my son. Go and sin no more. It's a beautiful thing, the forgiveness of God. And it's something I think we press into far too little. Do you need to repent? Because if you are, if you are a person of faith, if you are a citizen of heaven, then Paul is saying, and I am saying to you, that you need to, you must conduct yourself in a manner worthy of the gospel. And I pray that as we do so, our life will reflect Jesus and we will begin to impact and change the world around us. Knowing that we live for God and because God is for everyone, they know we are for them and that they can have what we have. And that is a beautiful, beautiful savior and friend a powerful father, a compelling Holy Spirit, and a life capable of being lived in a manner worthy of the gospel. Whatever you need to do today, whatever you need to do today to attain that, I pray you do it. Father, thank you so much, so much for who you are, for what you do, for the way that you do it. 
I just pray that today, Lord, you would help each and every person hearing this message to examine their own life, to see whether or not they do live in a manner worthy of the gospel, and to, Lord, help curve and correct and shape our lives, transform our lives into something that is worthy of the gospel, something that does reflect you, and something that does bring you glory. We need you, God. We love you. Come and hear us as we respond to you in worship. I see your name we pray. Amen.